So the big question is this, why do we have more information at our fingertips than at any other time in history? Yet the personal physical health status of 70% of us, children and adults, is falling off a cliff. The focus in our new world is who can invent something that will correct my health once I drive it over the cliff. I decided after 32 years of teaching health and physical education in schools that it was time to take the world's latest medical research on physical activity and turn it into content that fascinates people. The new science of physical health is all about drawing people into a world they never knew existed with one mission in mind, improve their physical health destiny. Hey everybody, welcome back to this episode of Don't Die With Your Music Still In You, the mini-series that I'm continuing after the audiobook that we just produced about the new science of physical health. I'm so glad to be touching back on this um, topic again today, particularly what I'm really excited about is telling you about the story in just a moment of the three hours that I spent with the most famous person in computing technology that has ever lived. Wow. It was that, wait till you hear that in just a moment. You know, just to refresh here, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes in this series, Don't Die With Your Music Still In You, not dying with your music still in you is about what you do with your life. It's about how you lead your life. There's so much rich things that you give to the world, not just on a massive scale, like the guest that I'm going to talk about here in just a moment, but more importantly, on a smaller scale in our own world. And I'm going to touch on that in today's episode. So let's get on with it. It's don't die with your music still in you and the most famous person in the world that I got to spend three hours with in computing technology. I won't tell you who it is. Why don't you listen to them in person and then see if you can figure it out along the way. Well, it's great to be here at Comdex. It's a chance for us every year to get together and see all the change that's been taking place. And with this fast-moving industry, the pace of change has never been greater. In fact, we can find change everywhere today. The changes now are being discussed not simply in the context of data processing or the computer industry, but in a much broader context, in the context of how we communicate, how we organize, how we educate, how we run business. And the changes that will be brought by this will go well beyond Uh, the group we find here. However, this industry will be at the center of all of it with its software innovation, its competitive hardware, will be shaping this so-called information highway. Now this next era that we're moving into is quite different than the original PC era. That one was done simply by uh, having a few companies that believed uh, spring it on the world and it was a complete surprise. Here we have thousands of companies, and it's talked about all the time. You can hardly pick up a magazine without reading about what's going on here. Now, it's often cast in the light of who's doing a deal with who, what companies are getting together, and you know who's getting ahead, who's winning, who's losing. And I don't think that's really the context that helps us understand uh, where we ought to go. I think the best approach is to really look at what will it be like once it's pervasive, 
Uh, what will the benefits be? And then step back from there to see how we can get out to that. So I decided to take this year's speech and dedicate it to that vision, uh, to showing those scenarios. Uh, now that means I'm going to go this, this full hour uh, without mentioning a single Microsoft product, uh, if I can uh, control myself, that is, and uh, really just, just look out ahead. Now, I did do this uh, uh, one other time in 1990 when I introduced the original information at your fingertips concept. Uh, there I had some uh, fun scenarios where people were doing a lot of things, and most of what I showed there has already come true. Uh, object orientation, uh, document centricity, uh, facts, mail integration, improved ease of use. Uh, one notable thing I had in there that has not taken place is that uh, I was showing the use of pen computing, a tablet computer where the signature was being uh, put in and, and the notes were being recognized. Uh, I still believe very much that that will happen and will be important. Uh, but that's one case where the, uh, the time frame uh, wasn't exactly right. Just tell you before I tell you who that was, in case you're one of those people. You, look, you just may not be in the technology. I'm a, a, a person who's involved in health and physical education, but I also love technology. That speech was recorded way back in 1995, and I got to meet that person five years later in the year 2000. Now, I will say this person is one of the most famous people in technology. Depending on your age, if you were a person that was um, uh, born, uh, you know, around the year 2000 listening to this podcast, you know, you almost have grown up with smartphone technology, internet technology, information at your fingertips. But if you're like me, and even if you're born, uh, like I was born back in 1966, but even if you were born in the 1990s or the 1980s listening to this, the world was already changing dramatically when that speech was recorded in 1995. So let me tell you who that person was by introducing you to the story of how I got to spend three hours with them. Okay, the Olympic Games. I am an Olympic game uh, freak, so to speak. I'm, I'm a buff. I'm just into the Olympic Games. I remember watching um, since 1976 back in Montreal when I was at, um, 10 years old watching the Olympics on our television. That was the first time it got broadcast. Then I watched it again in 1980 when it was in Moscow and they had the boycott. Then I watched it in 1984 in Los Angeles. Uh, I was in year 12 at school and it was being broadcast into Australia. But of course of the differences between the United States of America and Australia, it meant that I was studying for my school for my um, final year of school um, and all the exams that we had when the Olympic Games were on. And uh, so what would happen is we had our big exams in the uh, in the time that it was on at the end of 1984, and that was when it was in Los Angeles. Cut one of my all-time athletic heroes, Carl Lewis, was running. And at that Olympic Games, and I really wanted to watch it. So I would study, uh, come home from school, I'd study till about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, and then I'd stay up all night watching the Olympic Games, sitting in front of our television, and uh, and then go to sleep for an hour or two, wake up, go to school, and keep repeating the same thing. I did that for two weeks while the Olympics were on. So here I am, Sydney, 2000. The Olympic Games are coming to my home city. In fact, where I was living at the time 
was I could have thrown a rock to the Olympic Stadium from the 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 flat or the apartment that I was living in. That's how close I was to the Olympic Games Stadium and the Olympic Village. So it was a real serendipity, a real fortunate accident. But even more fortunate than that was I got the opportunity from the school that I was teaching at to be a volunteer at the Olympic Games. Well, so what would happen was I was taking some students who were involved in the opening ceremony. They had some students from our school and schools all across the state, um, across the country, I think, who would come and they would do rehearsals for the section that they were in in the opening ceremony. They had some dance, some tribal dance, and they had um, a whole lot of other things at the opening ceremony. Well, students from my school in the year 2000, anyone that's listening to this, they were part of the opening ceremony. Well, when I was there, I was like a chaperone. I'd take them to the stadium beforehand and, uh, you know, in the months and months beforehand, do the dress rehearsal with them and take them back to school. Well, what happened was one afternoon, one evening, it was one evening actually, I was sitting in the stadium and the organisers of the of, um, the opening ceremony came over and said, is there anybody who'd like to be a volunteer for the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony of the Olympic Games? Well, I, you could have, I think I knocked down several people like George Costanza in that famous episode of Seinfeld where he pushes, um, the old, uh, uh, grandmothers out of the way and the women and the children to get out of an apartment that's on fire before all of they do, before all of them. So I was like George Costanza. I was pushing everybody else out of the way because I had been in love with the Olympic Games ever since I was a child and I wanted to, the opportunity to go and watch an opening ceremony and a closing ceremony in person. And the stadium had 100,000 seats in it, but they were expensive seats, and I wasn't going to be able to afford one back um, in the year 2000 on my teaching salary. And it was already sold out very, very quickly because it, you know, the previous Olympic Games in Australian history was way back in 1956. Can you believe this? In Melbourne, my mother lived a rock throw from the Olympic Stadium in Melbourne. So that was pretty cool stuff as well. And they had an Olympic village right near their house. So back to 2000, here I am. I got selected by just a fortunate accident, asked to, and I volunteered to be in, in the opening ceremony. And what a volunteer does in the opening ceremony is, they are simply allocated a place inside the stadium in between, um, the, the, in the stairwells to help the audience be able to look at their Olympic paraphernalia and help them to coordinate that. There's a, there's basically a little suitcase at the Australian Olympic Games in Sydney in 2000. There's a little suitcase on every single person's, um, uh, seat. And what my job was that, um, when there were things that the audience were going to be requested to do, that would interact with the opening ceremony, like, for example, the Indigenous Tribal Fire Dance. There was a section in there that um, what my job to do was to help the audience members who were nearby explain to them how they could participate from their seats with the opening ceremony, different parts of the opening ceremony. So that was really essentially my job. So here I am. The ceremony, I knew what was coming um, with the opening ceremony. If you've ever seen a video on YouTube, um, just type it in and you hear what you hear is you see there's a crack of a whip and then a lone horse rider comes out into the middle of the stadium and cracks the whip again 
And then all of a sudden, the stadium starts to flow and fill up with these horses and this haunting music called the Man from Snowy River. For those of you who live outside of Australia, you've never heard of the Snowy River. It's one of our massive river streams from the mountains with all this cold water, and it provides the, through electricity through something called the Snowy Mountain Scheme. And uh, it's, so it's very, and there's a, a great movie about it called The Man from Snowy River. Um, is also available. You can go and check that out. But so I knew what was coming in the opening ceremony. It was literally five minutes before kickoff, and I had found out that the seats um, in the stadium where I was at, they were something like $2,000 a ticket five minutes uh, that were in the stadium. Five minutes before the start, there were 10 seats that were vacant right next to me. And I was looking down at this going, I'm scratching my head thinking to myself, I, I heard that the stadium was sold out. Surely people wouldn't spend 10 tickets, 2000 each, just $20,000 and not turn up. That just doesn't make any sense to me. So it could have been more than 10 seats. If, you know, it could have been 20 seats, but it was this long road that was vacant. So anyway, literally one minute before the start, these people filed past me and uh, came and sat down in their seats. And I was thinking to myself, oh, they cut it fine. Anyway, I was distra- not distracted because I was focused on what was about to happen. I was going to get the opportunity in the year 2000, after all these years being a health and physical education teacher, to get the opportunity to stand at the opening ceremony Olympic Games in my home city 10 minutes from where I lived. Really pumped, excited, out, but like beyond how I can describe it. So the lights go down, um, I've seen there, and about five minutes into the ceremony, I start looking around because I'm just going, this is awesome, this is unbelievable. Like, it was really the coolest thing. And anyway, because I knew how the torch, oh, and actually, we didn't know, it was kept a secret how the torch was going to be lit. So that was coming up in the ceremony um, of how that torch was actually going to be lit, which is really cool. So I'm sitting there about five minutes or ten minutes into it, and remember... In smartphone technology, the smartphone wouldn't be invented until 2007 when Steve Jobs invented it um, with, with the Apple iPhone the year after Android came out in 2008. So there were no smartphones. I wasn't texting any friends. I wasn't taking photos on my phone or anything like that. Um, the internet uh, at that stage had not been connected to phones because that didn't happen to 2007. So it was really a, a, a area, an era of where it was just text messages and you could call someone on your mobile phone. I think you had GPS, that type of thing. So that's the, I want to set that up because that's really important. So then I turn around and I thought, I looked around at the people around me just trying to do my job, who's there. I look beside me, literally right next to me, like I'm talking literally I was standing in the middle of the uh, walkway of the stairs going down in the stadium and on one side of me there were some people but on the next side of me I recognized instantly who these two people were husband and wife a couple because I was into technology in the year 2000 I've been into technology well the internet came to our school library in 1996 of the school that I was working at at the time. So I started to get into, and that was before Google. I think it was Yahoo or I don't know who it was. So the, and I got fascinated by that just then, uh, back then. So then I'm sitting there and I knew instantly who these two people were. I looked down and would you believe I got the opportunity for the next three hours just by pure accident to spend time with talking to their bodyguards as well. Um, cause what happened was, just before I tell you who it is, and you, if you know the voice from the start of this episode, you'll know who this is already. 
But what triggered me was um, what triggered me to look at what's going on is I saw this woman at the end of the aisle. So there were two famous people sitting right next to me, like world famous people. And then this woman at the end of the aisle, she was talking into her hand. I'm going, and then she had one of those um, uh, earpieces that um, then has like a little connection coming out of it, made her look like the FBI talking into her hand, like she's talking into a, a speaking device. And I thought to myself, what what is going on here? Well, I'm looking at that. It's like she was a really strong-looking woman, and she's talking into her hand. She's got the little earpiece in, and I look along the aisle, back towards, coming back towards me, of these ten seats. And then, lo and behold, I sit down and I look. My eyes avert straight next to me. It's Bill Gates. The Bill Gates is the person who you heard at the start of this episode of that speech in 1995. Here I am, five years later, the opening ceremony, standing right next to him. Well, that was the cool... And his wife, Melinda Gates, was there uh, right next to me as well. She was right next to me, and he was on the other side of her. But anyway, that was a cool thing. But the story gets a little bit better from there, and it really does relate to don't die with your music still in you and the whole concept of the new science of physical health. Let me explain how. So here's the story that I swear on my life, (laughs) on my entire life of everything I've ever done, this is exactly as it happened. During the ceremony, a couple of different things. I got to talk to the bodyguards, and they just gave me a bit of instruction on how to interact with Bill and the Gates, and you know, don't be all over them. You know, they're here to enjoy the ceremony, and so you know, I was trying to stand back a fair bit. But Melinda was really nice. She was just this lovely person, like really delightful. She, um, you know, um, needed wanted. To, she went out and bought some dr- like soft drinks for all of the Microsoft crew, and I went and helped to do that. And we got a bit chatty. Just her and I, just walking up. She wasn't as recognised back then as she is now so her and i just walked up to the um to the uh place where like the little uh, cafeteria where you could buy drinks and we bought she bought the soft drinks for everybody and and it was she was just a delightful person no one was talking to anybody so then um came back handed those drinks out along to everybody along the, along the uh, seats just there in the opening ceremony, they sing the Australian National Anthem. So Bill pulls out this printout to everybody because, remember, we didn't have iPads back then, no tablets, no Android tablets or anything like that, certainly no Microsoft tablets. That's one that Bill missed. Um, and so then what happened was um, he hands out the Australian National Anthem so everybody can sing it. That was pretty cool. I thought, that's a pretty nice touch. Guy's in Australia, lives in America. He's um, uh, thoughtful about our National Anthem, so he hands out the words to our National Anthem so that people can sing the Australian National Anthem. So that impressed me straight away, besides having a conversation with Melinda. Then later in the ceremony, there's two things that happened. Here's the first thing. I mentioned before they have the Aboriginal fire dance. Well, what happens is, um, in the opening ceremony, is inside that Olympic kit, that little kind of case that's on everyone's seat, there's a little wristband that goes in there. And what happens is you put your arm up and you wave the wristband when the lights go down in the stadium and the whole stadium where the seats are look like it's on fire for the Aboriginal, which is the Indigenous fire dance that was a part of the opening ceremony. You can see it on YouTube. It's there. Well, in the stadium that night, and I'll tell you, if you know Bill Gates, if you ever get to speak to the guy, this is exactly what happened. What happened was he put his arm up and everyone else's wristbands were turning red and uh, orange as they waved their arms above their head because that was what I was instructed to do. But Bill's wasn't working. So he's looking at all of his friends and his wife next to him, Melinda, and theirs is all working and his is not. And I'm looking at it going, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this to the founder of Microsoft, 
one of the greatest technology geniuses that's ever lived. My The other person I think is a hero of mine is uh, Steve Jobs, who unfortunately passed away from the second leading cause of sickness and death, cancer, when he was 56, so he's two years older than I am now. Um, I won't go into that one. Maybe that's for another episode because um, I have an association with someone who's very close to Steve Jobs, which is unusual for a person all the way back in Australia. So I'm there. Bill Gates's orange wristband is not working. And I go, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. So I lean over. I said, oh, Bill, look, just quickly, there's a little switch on the side of your wristband. Mate, just flick that and it'll start working. So he flicks it, starts waving it, and of course it works, and he feels connected and joined in and doing what everybody else is doing. Gave me a little wave, said thank you very much. And I'm thinking I'm thinking in the back of my head, this is after I'd rung my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and um, I'd gone out and told her what's going on. Bill Gates is here, you won't believe it. I'm volunteering in the same seats that he's sitting in the rest of the night. So then what happened was, that was really cool. Like I was like... But I couldn't believe it. You know, I had to show him how to use the simplest piece of technology. But then there's one other technology story that I also think is pretty amazing, which actually did happen. I think is really cool to, to share in this podcast. So here is what um, uh, later in the ceremony, the U.S. Olympic team comes through in the march by. So if you don't know the Olympic Games, is every country comes in order. Greece always goes first because that's where the modern Olympic Games originated in 1896 in Athens in Greece. I uh, know Greece comes last or first. I can't remember. It's one of those two. And then come, all the countries come in alphabetical order, except for the host nation. Now, the host nation comes last and Greece comes first. So then what happened was the USA comes in order. And just before the USA were about to be announced to come onto the stadium floor and do a march past, Bill and Melinda pull out in the year 2000 these mini Sony TVs. I'm going, whoa, that was pretty mind-blowing. Now, if you live in the modern world today and you have a smartphone that can access YouTube and access any video content you want to get, it's not a big deal. Or even live broadcast on YouTube, live broadcast on Facebook and all the other platforms that are available. But it was a big deal in the year 2000. We weren't even internet connected in our smartphone, in our phones back then. They weren't smartphones. So Bill Melinda pulled out these mini TVs. They put the little earphones on because they wanted to listen to the commentary about the U.S. Olympic team from the broadcast, the Olympic broadcaster, as they went past. Anyway, that's pretty cool. So Bill and Melinda pulled their TVs out. But there's a thing. What happened was the television screens wouldn't work. It was, if you've ever grown up in the 70s and 80s, and look this up on Google if you don't know what this means, but the televisions had black and white snow. Now, what that meant was that the TVs wouldn't, weren't getting any reception. It was like they, they had no reception because you needed radio uh, waves to be able to get reception into the TVs, these mini TVs. And they had bills trying to figure it out. And I'm going, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this again. I'm going to have to help him with a piece of technology. Because I knew in the 70s and 80s, I knew that we used to get to black and white TV snow all the time. And invariably what had happened was... There's a little switch on the back of your television. One says UHF and one says VHF. And I can't remember which one it is, but you have to switch it from UHF to VHF or the other way around. And I figured out pretty quickly, as soon as I saw Bill and Melinda, like he was tapping the side of his TV trying to get it to work, like it was really cool. And I go, oh, I know what to do here. This will fix it. So I lean over again to Bill and I say, look, Bill, there's a little switch. Flip your TV over. So he flips it over to the back. I said, see that little switch down there? I think in the U.S., you guys might have VHF and we have UHF or the other way around. And so he flicks the switch, 
flicks his TV back over, and lo and behold, he's getting reception of the the host broadcaster inside the Olympic Stadium. Probably the only two people in the stadium that night that had mini TVs, I'm guessing. Right? I didn't see anybody else. But it was really cool to be able to help Bill Gates he was very thankful once again. Is like really delighted that I could get this to work. So it just so happened that um, I was a technology interested person <laughs> next to basically the person who invented the software computing revolution. So that was a really, uh, really cool experience. And I'll talk to you more now about some of the rest of this episode about don't die with your music still in you. But it doesn't, it's not always just about famous people like Bill and Melinda Gates, whose life now, he left Microsoft soon after that in 2000 and started, they actually started their foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in the year 2000. And I can't remember what year he left Microsoft, but he left Microsoft, stepped right away from it and has dedicated his life to the work in philanthropy, where, as we know in the world of at the time of this recording of the podcast, they're involved in helping um, and have long before coronavirus came along, they're involved in trying to get medicines to eradicate things like polio. So they're really trying to do some significantly important work in the world that helps other people. Well, here's the interesting thing about the new science of physical health. If you're Bill and Melinda Gates and you have this mission in your life through their foundation to be able to impact the world and leave it in a better situation than you found it, then the question that I have for you is Bill Gates is no more exempt from the ravages of the new science of physical health, meaning a low personal physical health status and poor physical health. He is no less susceptible to getting cardiovascular disease or cancer than any other person. And all of the great works that he's done can be interrupted at the drop of a hat. So right now he's working on the coronavirus. They're still working on polio, uh, as I record this, and other diseases. And they're still trying to contribute it to um, uh, wa- uh, water safety. I know they're doing a big thing in water safety in certain countries so that people can have clean drinking water. Really basic things that other people, you know, where I live in Australia, we just take it for granted. So all of his vision and all of his work and Melinda's, the people I got to sit down with for three hours, it's under threat from something called the disease funnel. Now, there's also something called the health funnel. The problem is that whether it's Bill and Melinda Gates or whether it's me or whether it's you or the people that you influence, depending on what you do for a life in terms of your career, is that you don't, people are heading into the disease funnel or are under threat from the two biggest killers and causes of sickness, cardiovascular disease and cancer, but they don't, ha- they don't know that they are under threat from it. And so he's doing all this great work with his vast wealth and he has this aim. By the way, I, don't, I put this in my notes. I don't buy into the conspiracy theories that are on the internet about Bill Gates and the coronavirus. And I'm not even going to talk about it. I just don't buy into that. That is not my experience in the world. And whether you think that's all up to you, if you want to read about that stuff and take that on board. I'm going to stick on my channel and my thing is about the new science of physical health. And when I see people like Bill and Melinda Gates trying to give water safety to people, trying to eradicate things like polio, which one of my aunties had polio and died early because of polio, had a horrible life. When I see them trying to do things like that, I go, that's a great thing. I'm really 
Uh, I think that's a great contribution to humanity. And I think that's what we should be about is less self-focused and more about our contribution to humanity. So Bill Gates's life, just like anybody else's, is as susceptible to the disease funnel and the conditions that exist inside things, my two major frameworks, the impact quadrant and the molecular benefit map. So let's talk a little bit about not just the music dying, don't die with the music still in you if you want to be this person who is significant in the world, like I got to meet and spend time through a fortunate accident, a serendipity, Bill and Melinda Gates, but let's bring it back a little bit closer to home. Let's talk about you and the world that you live in, and I'm going to do that by giving you some examples of my own. So let me use my first example, because I think this one's a really good one. Okay, what you're about to hear, I'm going to transition to, you're going to hear a young child speaking. It's actually my son's very first day of school. There's a video clip of it somewhere inside the Health Secrets U uh, universe, the Underground Education Revolution, um, which you can get access to through the notes. Uh, in, there's a link in the notes. But um, this is the audio portion of his first day of school. Here's what my whole point of the new science of physical health is all about. My father, his grandfather, never got to watch on video or see in person his grandson's first day of school because he didn't understand things behind the two major frameworks of the new science of physical health. And put yourself at the center of the concept, for example, this thing, don't die with your music still in you. You know, it's Christmas time. You go out Christmas shopping and you can do that with um, you and your um, your uh, spouse or you can do it by yourself. I did it by myself the other day and I was thinking to myself as I was going around, what a wonderful thing to be able to do and to be able to be involved in going and doing. Um, we just recently went thing, uh, took my son on a Cubs camp, like a camp, you know, Cub Scouts. We took him on a, a camp and we went down and we stayed on near the beach in this scout hall. He had some friends with him. We, and while we were there, we did some fishing with the three of us, myself, my son and my wife. And that was just fantastic. One, and while we were there on that Cubs camp, we went and bought fish and chips from the fish and chip shop and we sat there and sat around and ate those as a family with some friends. Um, we're right now, we're in the middle of putting up a new pool in our backyard. Um, my son this year, he got, he received the principal's medallion at the end of the year award ceremony for achievement in his class at school, which was just amazing. This beautiful medallion. Um, and it's the effort that he put in towards his academic work this year at school. You know, there's so many things that are I call music, and those are some examples of them. It's not about what I can give to the world. It's about being in the world to share those experiences. So you have in your own world experiences that make it better for other people. If you have family that you get to share things with, friends you get to share things with, contribute through your work, whatever it is, you do have All of us have music within us that contributes to the world, something that we give to the world to make it a better place. Don't ever discount, because I certainly don't. don't. One of the great things I've learned is don't discount what you give to the world when you go and do something like going on a camping trip with your family somewhere and doing fishing. We had the greatest time laughing about how hopeless the three of us are at fishing and because we don't know anything about fishing. And we could put this on a YouTube channel and get laughs just about how hopeless we are. So I started 
commentating the fishing that we were doing and both my son and my wife were laughing their heads off at the time and I thought to myself I did I thought in the back of my head I thought this is fun this is one of the great things about life that I get to contribute to because remember I'm eight years older if you've listened to my previous episodes than my father was when he died so I'm getting to contribute I'm 54 he died at 46 I'm getting to contribute to the world it doesn't have to be like a Bill Gates it doesn't have to be this grandiose thing that we all want to go and do. In fact, one of the things that's taught me this year is I agree with a lot of people. I think the simple things in life are perhaps as big as the grandiose things of curing polio, which is one of the things that Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is trying to do. So listen to this. Let me transition now into a couple of minutes of my son talking about what well, he's getting dressed. He's in his bedroom getting dressed for his very first day of school. And I got to film this, and my wife was getting him dressed. If I had gone down the pathway into the disease funnel, one of the frameworks inside my work of the new science of physical health, if I had not understood the molecular benefit map and the impact quadrant, then I wouldn't get to experience what you're about to hear. And my father, his grandfather, did not. And that's the relevance of the new science of physical health and the learning frameworks and the world that I'm trying to draw people into and to get them fascinated about. So let's just hear, first of all, about my uh, my, my son talking in his own words on his very first day of school, and then I'm going to come back and finish off the episode with something from, I think it's the Impact Quadrant, yes, the Impact Quadrant, and relate it back to this. Okay, back in a sec. First time ever. They are not ever wear the boots. You've never had those ones on before, no. They're brand new. And look. But I have had these ones on before. They're the same type, but these ones are new. I kept these ones nice and fresh for school. What do we put the numbers? We put the... The sock. The sock has... Has your name on it. Daddy, look. There's blue writing. Mm, for your socks. What does it say? Tell Daddy what it says. Robert Stark. That's right. Mummy, do you know what? Why is it blue lights? Because remember I said to you, all the, all the clothing ones, they're all in blue. And all the other things are in red. That's right. Okay, shoes on. White. White shoes. Nice new white shoes. You got your foot in? One. One looks so good in this. <laughs> you do look so good in this. It's so great. Red shorts. I love your red shorts. They're like little parachutes. They are. They're little parachutes. Right. Show us. So stand back over, over near your bed, yes, darling. Put your hat on to show, Daddy. Yep. Stand back over near your bed a little bit. So I can keep going because I can get all Sit of right you back in. back so Daddy can get you on with. There you are. Oh, aren't you well, that's my son's very first day of school. He's a few years older than that now, but uh, he's not reached high school yet. And if you live in America, he has not yet reached middle school. He's uh, got his last year of elementary school next year, as I record this, or primary school, if you live in other parts of the world. And so that was a great day, and the video of that is just such a nostalgic thing to have. But let me pick on something now that's really important. Like I said, his grandfather, my father, never got to see that, never got to witness that because 
his bo- his life was taken at age 46, 30 years before my son was born, um, that uh, was taken from the world's number one cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease, 18 million people a year, but which 80% of people don't have to because they've never been delved into the, the world that exists inside the human body. So if you've never seen the two major frameworks that I have in the New Science of Physical Health, then they're available in the link in the show notes. There's a, a, a something called the 10-minute web class. Click on the link, you'll get taken to it, and you can go and see what I'm about to describe to you. But there is something that I have created, a learning framework called the Impact Quadrant. Let me focus on one thing out of the Impact Quadrant that relates to being having the opportunity to see and participate in what you just heard or the grandparent, um, or not being able to participate in it. So let me pick on the impact quadrant. So there's four areas in that framework, obviously. That's why it's a quadrant. One is called anti-atherosclerosis, anti-arrhythmic, anti-ischemic, and anti-thrombotic. Let me just focus on one section called anti-ischemic for this episode, and only one thing out of the anti-ischemic quadrant, because there's several things in there. So the word ischemic means this, is a condition in which the blood flow and the oxygen inside your blood vessels is restricted or reduced in part or all of the body. For example, the two areas which become most concerned of restriction are one called myocardial, that means your heart, so myocardial ischemia, heart ischemia, can lead to serious complications, including heart attack. If it happens in your neck, it can be um, in your coronary artery. It could become blocked in towards your heart, leading to a lack of oxygen and can lead to a heart attack. If it happens in your neck, it's a stroke. Or if you have the heart attack and you survive, because this happens to 50% of people who have a cardiovascular event, they survive, but it destroys part of the actual heart muscle because of the lack of oxygen. Think of a picture of the human heart and part of it, a tiny portion of it, let's say a five cent piece or a small coin, depending on the country that you live in. But we're talking about a part of it just being black and it never recovers. And it's called, that's what is ischemia. And it can, the damage can be really serious. It's permanent and it can be fatal. Now it could be fatal the first time or it could be fatal the third or fourth time. Here's the thing. It takes years to develop it, and you only feel it once it's advanced. So, how do you use physical activity to lower your risk of ischemia? I cannot go into all of it here in this episode, otherwise it extends the episode out too long. But go to the link in the show notes called the 10-minute web class. That'll take you to something which does drive it forward more and will give you a whole lot more scope about what I'm talking about. There's three health secrets inside the 10-minute web class. The third health secret that I've got inside it, so the the web class is called the 10-minute web class. The third secret in there talks about how you use physical activity to lower your risk of ischemia. So that's where you'll find out that information. But here's one of the things that that health secret and the use of physical activity does is it releases something into whenever you're physically active to a certain level of intensity. That's really important. It releases something into your blood and what we call a neurotransmitter called nitric oxide. So this is what nitric oxide is. Back in 1998, 
the Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology was awarded to somebody called Robert F. Ferdgott. It's a hard word to pronounce. Um, and uh, Fareed Murad and Louis J. Ignaro, because they discovered, those three scientists won the Nobel Prize for Medicine and Physiology for the discovery of this compound that gets released into your blood called nitric oxide and its role in cardiovascular physiology. So nitric oxide is a molecule that's produced naturally by your body and is really important for many aspects of your physical health. Its most important function is something called vasodilation, meaning it relaxes the inner muscles of the blood vessels, causing them to widen and increase blood circulation. So as a vasodilator, what, this is the really interesting thing that it does. It increases blood flow and lowers blood pressure. Now, here's the, here's the, the part that I'm really interested in explaining. Go to the link in the show notes to the 10-minute web class and get to Health Secret number three so you can understand how to track this, how to raise the levels of nitric oxide in your blood vessels. Here's why. Because if you don't do that, like my father didn't and millions of people don't, and you die with the music still in you, then what happens is if you don't do it, by through physical activity and don't release this nitric oxide to essentially make your blood vessels more elastic, more flexible. You'll raise your blood pressure. Well, here's the question is, why is that a big deal? Here's why it's a big deal. I talked to a world-leading cardiologist here in Sydney one time who treats thousands of patients every single year. The amount of workload this guy does is incredible. And he said to me, after the age of 50, the most important biometric he's interested in is blood pressure. Here's why. It causes tiny, having high blood pressure causes tiny microscopic cuts inside your blood vessel walls. What that does is it allows these tiny cuts to open up, microscopic tears, and to get what we call plaque to begin to develop in those and stiffen your arteries. If your arteries stiffen, it's like it's a tripwire or a trigger mechanism in towards growing the conditions which will cause a heart attack, which will cause a stroke, the number one cause of sickness and death in the world. So if you come back to being physically active and the impact quadrant and something that's anti-ischemic, getting nitric oxide into your blood vessels through physical activity and tracking it, health secret number three in the 10-minute web class in the show notes, of the, this particular episode, but if you get nitric oxide into your blood vessels and make them more elastic, then you drive down the risk of causing the death of part of your heart tissue or the death of part of your brain because oxygen was cut off. Your stiffening of the arteries, arterial stiffness, another part of the impact quadrant, that grows over time naturally. Each decade you pass from 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, 60 to 70. It keeps growing. It's a part of, but nitric oxide, which your body releases when you do enough physical activity with enough intensity, you've got to track it though, because if you don't track it, you don't know, then you will release enough nitric oxide to drive down arterial stiffness, but to drive down the risk of, in this case, ischemia, which is death of the heart tissue. So that's why nitric oxide is so, so important. So the point of today's episode, I'm going to wrap this up now. 
And the point of today's episode of the new science of physical health is just this, and 100% this. There are so many experiences in your world that you will contribute just to bring joy to people around you. I'm looking forward to Christmas this year. There'll come a day where I won't be here for Christmas. My objective is to push that out further that day by using the new science of physical health, the framework, and using it as my tool to make sure that I've so lowered my risk that I'm not placing myself. It's like saying, well, I could go and play chicken with cars on the freeway, but if I don't go and play chickens with a car on the freeway, there's a whole lot lower risk of me getting hit by a car. Correct? (laughs) Absolutely. And that's what happens when people don't dive into the world of the new science of physical health. They that the things that, that you're looking forward to, the things that you add value to, even if they're not the big grandiose things, like this series that I've been going through, Don't Die With The Music Still In You, is all about. It's like people have contributed this great stuff to the world, and that's fantastic, but that's not going to be me. It may not be you, or it could be you. Whichever one you are, there are things that you contribute anyway, which I argue are just as significant because they provide music for other people and they provide this the, the great connections of that we have, and we, which we call the human condition. Whether you have a family, don't have a family, have friends, have people you work with, it's about our relationships with people that we find like-minded, which give us joy, which give us happiness, which give us all the things that we would like to pursue in life and having the freedom to be able to go and do that. So thanks for joining me today's episode. Don't die with the music still in you. I hope that it's hit a home. Hope you enjoyed listening to my little son's first day of school. You probably have your own stories in that area as well. I'll see you in the next episode. I'm going to continue this series a little bit longer because it's got such a positive response. And if you want to know more and find out about more about the new science of physical health, I encourage you and I implore you, I beg you, I just, I'm asking you, click on the link inside the show notes and go and look at the 10 minute web class. See you in the next episode, everybody. Bye for now.